Welcome to episode 233. Do you ever feel that heavy pit of the stomach feeling after you've eaten something? Like a big steak or maybe avocado? Or what if you've changed your diet and all of a sudden you're getting all of this bloating, pain when eating, or even fatigue after meals, or just all-around gut health problems? If you've had gut issues or digestive discomfort, then you're in the right place because on this episode, which came out as a bit of a two-part masterclass, we talk about how the gut and its dysfunction is the root of many health problems and that you can actually fix your health issues that you might be supplementing or medicating to fix by simply fixing your gut health and thus absorbing the nutrition that you need. In this part one, we cover a full explanation of the whole digestive process from gums to bum. (laughs) (laughs) because understanding how it should work is important to knowing what to do when things are not working. We also talk about digestive eating strategies, nervous system regulation, and stomach acid. Be ready to come out educated on all things digestion. You ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Glad you and I are hanging out here jamming all things health and wellness once again. I really enjoy doing these types of episodes because hanging out with people in my inner circle is always uh, just an awesome experience. And it's kind of like a different vibe that just lands a little differently. Anyway, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And so today, we have a very special guest who knows a thing or two about keeping your blood sugar in check and optimizing your digestion, particularly in the keto and low-carb diet space. I want you to meet the wonderful friend of mine, Danielle Hamilton, whom is a functional nutrition therapy and restorative wellness practitioner. She's a woman on a mission to help people uncover their blood sugar and insulin issues even before they know they have them, which is likely a lot of people listening right now. And that includes people with PCOS as well. Danny is big on the idea that reversing insulin resistance is more than just changing what's on your plate. And actually, Danny's been on here before chatting about blood sugar and insulin. So once you're done here, head over and listen to episode 175 of this show for more Danny goodness. And aside from that, she's also got her own podcast called Unlock the Sugar Shackles. Check that out. It's amazing. And apart from that, she's an all-round legend. So Danny, so good to have you here again. What's going on? I'm so excited to be here, Maddie. Thanks for having me. And I love chatting with you outside of our personal circle and, you know, for for the public to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's funny when we like... We hang out and talk so much outside of like a professional setting. And then we jump on here and it's like, oh, yeah, we have to like not talk about our personal lives. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Got my professional hat on. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, yeah. In the professional world, what have you been up to? What's been going on in your space? I have been taking a deep dive into digestion, actually. So I it's something that I learned in nutritional therapy school that completely blew my mind. I mean, it was the thing that just, I felt like that little emoji with its head exploding um, when I learned about digestion in nutritional therapy school. And I didn't end up specializing in in digestion. I ended up sort of specializing in blood sugar because that was really more of my story. But in my signature program, Blood Sugar Mastery, with every single one of my clients, we always work on digestion because what I learned was that digestion is the number one healing priority of the body. 
And that's because when we digest, a lot of us, and myself included, maybe it was just me, but we tend to think about digestion as like you put food in, it digests, and it comes out almost like a blender, right? Like you put the food in, you blend it, it comes out, and then you pour it out, right? That's not how digestion works. And I didn't really realize that. It's not like this on and off switch. It digests or it doesn't. And so when I learned all these steps of digestion, which honestly, I feel like my, you know, biology teachers may have let us down, but I felt like, why isn't this being talked about more in the nutrition space? Like, why aren't we talking about stomach acid and bile and where everyone is very focused on the gut? You know, people know gut health is super important. Everyone knows like heal your gut, gut bacteria. Like these are, I feel common things. And so a lot of people will tell me, Danny, don't worry, my digestion's fine. I take a probiotic. And knowing what I know about digestion, it just makes me chuckle a little bit because that's just the very last step of digestion. I mean, probiotics do help the whole digestive tract, but for the most part, all the our bacteria is in our large intestine, which is the last step of digestion. There's just so much more that comes yeah. before that. And I think that people are missing that. Yeah, totally. And, and well, it's funny that you say that too, because it's almost like when people say, oh, I'm on a probiotic supplement. It's kind of like, um, I walk to the printer at work to lose weight. And it's like, sure, movement is important. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just one tiny piece. And and it's, I think as well, you raise a really good point is that most people just assume basically gums to bum is just coated in bacteria, right? Whereas the stomach itself, where all of that blending work happens, like, the probiotics don't really benefit that space too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we shouldn't have any bacteria in our small intestine for the most part. If we do, that's a pretty big problem. So it's just, we, I think we're just grossly uninformed about this topic as I was, because I didn't know any of this stuff. And that's why it just surprised me so much. And the other thing I see is I work with a lot of people who are um, working on their blood sugar. So typically they start reducing their carbohydrates in their diet, which mm -hmm. is usually a really good thing. Um, and they start in order to sort of compensate for that. They will increase their proteins, their animal proteins. This is amazing. And they're increasing their healthy fats. So they're doing all these amazing things for their physiology. They're stabilizing their blood sugar, getting rid of those blood sugar spikes. But then a lot of people, they've eaten this sort of standard American diet their whole lives. Or I don't know if you guys call it the standard Australian diet, same acronym. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of processed foods and things that are just almost things that can just dissolve in your mouth. They don't take a lot of digestive fire. And then a lot of these processed foods have tons of these bad oils in them. So those industrial seed oils that I'm sure your audience is familiar with, like um, soybean, sunflower, safflower, canola, rapeseed, corn oil, all those types of oils. And those oils are really, really bad for our digestive system, actually. So when we start switching these healthy fats and eating all this protein, our digestive system really, really starts to struggle. And so that's where I see a lot of people where they're like, I can't get into ketosis. I'm trying to stabilize my blood sugar. I'm trying to, you know, eat these fats, but 
they sort of run right through me or I went keto and now I'm constipated or uh, we're going to talk about poop today, people. <laughs> so strap in. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, they, they just have these other symptoms or maybe they, they don't have a gallbladder, right? So many people I see have blood sugar issues. They've lowered their fats and now they're trying to go keto and it's possible, but it's really hard without a gallbladder because you can't digest that fat. So I see people running into a lot of these issues when they they may tend to even lose their taste for meat because it just kind of sits in their stomach like a rock. Mm. And so that is sort of what people are up against. They're like, I'm trying to do this good thing, but it doesn't feel right in my body. It doesn't, you know, I'm supposed to have all these amazing benefits and I feel sluggish and heavy and I'm spending half my day in the bathroom. That's not, <laughs> that doesn't feel good, right? So this is really what I like to help people with. And um, what I think is just so fascinating and that missing piece of uh, the conversation. Yeah, cool. So I think maybe a good place to start because we've already sort of touched on the fact that, you know, people are probably misinformed about their digestion. So maybe we should cover like what the gut does, how it works, like what is normal, and then we can sort of get into how dysfunction becomes comes about. Yeah, absolutely. So I will try to make this brief, really easy to understand, but it really helps to understand how digestion should work in order to know what happens when each piece breaks down. So digestion actually begins in the brain. Okay, so a lot of people think it begins in the mouth, but it begins in the brain. The sight and the smell of food trigger us to start salivating, and we also need to be in a parasympathetic aka rest and digest state in order for our body to start producing all the necessary like enzymes and juices and all those lovely words um, to actually start digesting our food. So we are, we see the food and then we have a, the food enters our mouth and that's where we start breaking down the food physically with our teeth. We chew it. And then we also have saliva, which has some digestive enzymes in there, especially to break apart starches. And we have the saliva and that starts that chemical breakdown of food. So then it travels into our stomach and in our stomach, we have um, hydrochloric acid, which is super, super acidic to start breaking down food. And that really, really acidic hydrochloric acid or stomach acid starts to activate this enzyme called pepsin. And pepsin's job is to start breaking down proteins. The reason why pepsin can't be active all the time is because we are made of protein, so it would be digesting us. So it has to wait for that acidic trigger to start to activate, to start breaking down proteins into these tiny little peptides and amino acids. So I just think of them as like Legos. So if you have a chunk of Legos all together or Lego all together, and then you break them apart into like a few big chunks, those would be the polypeptides. And then the individual pieces would be the amino acids. We know amino acids are building blocks to things like hair, skin, nails, teeth, bones, but also to things like neurotransmitters so we can feel happy and calm uh, for things like hormones and enzymes and hemoglobin. So proteins don't only build muscle, they build feel-good chemicals and hormones and really, really important things. So I'm saying all these things so you can start putting together the fact that like, oh, wow, we really probably need stomach acid and, and pepsin to be breaking down these proteins, right? So stomach acid also disinfects the stomach. It kills bacteria. And um, it's really important to trigger the next steps of digestion. So 
in order for the food to actually leave the stomach, it needs to be acidic enough and then it enters the upper part of the stomach uh, of the small intestine where these enzymes come out. So the acidity triggers the pancreas to produce some enzymes. So now we're getting enzymes breaking down the food. We get the um, and it triggers this thing called cholecystokinin or CCK, and that tells the gallbladder to release bile. And bile is really, really, really important for emulsifying fats. So think about it like dish soap. So try to wash the dishes without soap. (laughs) You're going to have that grease that kind of stays there. That's like trying to eat a meal without bile. So the bile is like the soap. It emulsifies these fats so you can digest them. And they, it also takes away fat-soluble toxins. So bile has so many important roles. Um, and then in the small intestine, so now the food is in the small intestine. And when, I, when you think about the small intestine, I want you to think absorption. That's where so much of our food is absorbed. But by the time it gets to that small intestine, it should really be very, very broken down. So there's little like villi, which they're like little finger-like projections that are inside of the small intestine so that the there's a lot of surface area so we can capture all those amazing nutrients and then those nutrients go right into the bloodstream and the lining of the intestine should have enough integrity to keep those bigger particles from escaping the gut and entering the bloodstream right so we want to have this nice healthy lining of our intestine absorbing all these nutrients right so most of the like I said, that uh, absorption of the nutrients is happening in the small intestine. Okay, so now we just have one step left. We have the large intestine. So anything left over, so this would be like indigestible fibers and bile and water and different cells and stuff. This is going to get passed into the large intestine where the large intestine recycles water, recycles waste, and then it forms and expels feces. And this is where the gut bacteria live. And the gut bacteria do a lot of things. They break down undigested food. They neutralize certain byproducts of harmful uh, harmful byproducts that are in there. They aid in the absorption of some more nutrients. And a healthy gut can actually produce certain vitamins like vitamin K, vitamin B1, 2, and 12, and also butyric acid. And then the a huge part of our immune system is housed here. So um, it's something that I'm not used to saying. I'm not used to talking about the ins- the immune system because on Instagram, I'm, I'm not allowed to say that word without like a, a flag, oh, you know, so. The tyranny of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So very exciting that I can talk about that here that this is where our immune system lives. So when things get digested well, it really promotes a good gut bacterial balance. So now that we've lasted through the science, through the biology class, let's talk about what can go wrong. (laughs) Okay, so thanks for hanging in there with me. Yeah, that was like an amazing workshop. I loved it. It's like Danny's (laughs) masterclass. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So now we learned that digestion starts in the brain. So we are, as a culture, are we, you know, usually in a nice rest and digest state and just ready to eat and just calm and relaxed and focused on our food? No, we're distracted. We're busy. We're on the go. We are getting emails. The kids are screaming. We have to make the carpool line. I'm, you know, like we have meetings that we shouldn't be having. We're stressed. We're distracted. We're busy. And so we are not in an optimal 
nervous system state that's telling our body, hey, you're going to get some food and you need to break it down. You need to digest. So there's these really awesome graphics online. You can just type in parasympathetic versus sympathetic and you can click on images and see all these cool little diagrams of what happens in the parasympathetic state versus what happens in the sympathetic state. So in this sympathetic, which is fight or flight, in fight or flight, these little diagrams actually tell you the body will inhibit salivation, inhibit the activity of the stomach. And so we're going to stop producing uh, stomach acid, inhibits the gallbladder. So no more bile. And it inhibits the peristalsis, which is that action of the intestines to kind of like push food through. So all of those things are happening when we are in a stressed or just distracted, busy state. We are stopping digestion. So obviously you can see there's a lot of like, oh, I I should like, there's a lot of takeaways here just from like learning the things that can go wrong in digestion. You can mm-hmm. see what you might need to do, right? These call outs. So when we're super distracted, we are shutting everything off. And we need to remember that digestion is what we call a north to south process. And if something happens up north that impacts our digestion, every step below it will be impacted. So it's not just like, oh, this one is a little messed up, but everything else is going to be okay. No, you're kind of screwing yourself over if you mess up even like the first one or things up north. So that's why this is really important. So it feels like oh, you know, oh, taking a few deep breaths and sitting down, like, what does it really matter? It does really matter. And I will say, um, just so you don't feel bad about yourself, I teach this all the time and I'm like really bad at this. I am working on it, (laughs) but this is probably one of my hardest habits to break is to like sit down, take a few deep breaths, not be, you know, working through my meals. And so I want you to all join in with me in this, you know, idea that we're going to improve our mealtime habits and we're going to sit down. And then another big issue that can happen is that if we don't chew properly. So our, I always say that our mouths have teeth, but our stomach doesn't. So we need to really, really chew our food like 30 times per bite, because if we don't, then we're not breaking down that food adequately. And we're not going to have this whole good chain of events that happens. So chewing actually stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. So it puts us in rest and digest. And it also helps to shape our jaw, especially kiddos. Um, It can help. So if they're chewing nice, you know, steak, grass-fed steak or kangaroo, if you live in Australia, which Mm, if you're in the U.S. or Canada or outside Australia... Uh, you probably didn't know this, but Australians <laughs> eat kangaroo. <laughs> I didn't know. And you so does my cat, Alfie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All the Americans, all the non-Australians are probably being like, oh my God, are you serious? They eat that? And all the Australians are like, oh, ignorant Americans. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, everybody. Um, I, that's just a funny aside because I had no idea. And I had a really visceral reaction when yeah, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> It was so funny. Okay. So.
So we're talking about chewing. We need the saliva to mix with the food to start the breakdown of all the starches. And then if we are not mixing our food with the saliva, then the pancreatic enzymes are going to struggle to break down all those starches. Mm -hmm. And so then we can start to feed some candida and yeast and create this general dysbiosis in the large intestine. Dysbiosis just simply means an imbalance of that good and bad gut bacteria. So Mm -hmm. We need to chew our food thoroughly. We have to mix it with saliva. Um, I know this all kind of sounds pretty gross, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's going to get worse. (laughs) So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. One of the things that I get uh, clients to do in order to both be more conscious and present with their food as well as allowing more time for chewing because a lot of people, the way that we eat or we've been trained to eat in this busy world is that we, we create a cue in front of our mouth. So there's food in our mouth and the fork's already here with like more food on it. And so it just automates this process of swallow, 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 swallow rather than chewing. And so I get people to put their knife and their fork down in between every single bite so that it's like there's not this line in front of their face of food waiting to come in. <laughs> I that is in my um, list of suggestions as well. And so I say, just put your utensil down. But I love the idea that, yeah, it's like a cue or like a line of, you know, things ready to come in. So, yeah, putting your utensil down between bites is really, really important and can help sort of disrupt that habitual nature of eating because it's I can't tell you how many times I've chewed a bite of food like three or four times and swallowed and been like, oh, no, I want to get it back. I want a second chance. I've done that there's too. no second chances. <laughs> there's no second chances. <laughs> yeah, there's no second chances. It's gone. So, uh, yeah. So put your fork down, put your utensils down during eating. And that yep. can really help to help to break that habitual pattern. That's a great, mm-hmm. great tip. All right, so now we're getting to the stomach. And as you have might have guessed, stomach acid, I call it king when it comes to digestion. Stomach acid is king. It is so, so powerful for our um, just for our entire digestion, especially because it comes very up north in the process. So there's a lot of factors that can actually reduce stomach acid production. And some of these things are stress excess carb consumption, age, and nutrient deficiencies big time, 
alcohol, and then of course, not being in a rest and digest state and also history of eating a plant-based diet. So there's a lot of factors that reduce stomach acid, but a lot of people think that they have too much stomach acid. Um, But most of the time, the people are producing too little stomach acid over 90%. I would say over 95% of cases. I've honestly never worked with anybody who has had too much stomach acid. I have only worked with people who have too little stomach acid because we're all stressed. We all have deficiencies. And then when you have these nutrient deficiencies, like if you're not producing enough stomach acid because you're stressed, what happens is you get reduced absorption of minerals because stomach acid helps you absorb minerals and vitamins like B12. Zinc and B12, which is absorbed with stomach acid, if you're deficient in it, you can't absorb it and then you can't produce stomach acid. So it's sort of this vicious cycle. So that's why I find that most people, they're like, well, I have heartburn. I feel so acidic. I have so much acid. It's right here in my throat. Mm -hmm. Typically it's due to too little stomach acid and it causes the foods to just sit there in the stomach and the proteins are putrefying, the carbs are fermenting, the fats are rancidifying because the stomach's trying to work on it, but there's not enough acid. And so that bottom sphincter of the stomach doesn't open up to let it into the small intestine until it gets acidic enough. So it's just sitting there, it's sitting there, and then you start burping. Maybe you feel like this, the food is just sitting in your stomach like a rock. It feels heavy. Yeah, and you so, get really tired and yeah. weary and sluggish and like you've got no energy because your body's trying so hard to put all the resources into shifting this yes. food, right? Yes, exactly. So Antacids, they do help this problem of the acid coming back into your esophagus because it neutralizes it. However, it is not a good approach to helping solve this problem because stomach acid is so important. So if we're neutralizing the stomach acid, we're lowering it even more. Now we have even reduced, further reduced nutrient absorption. We have further reduced breakdown of the proteins. And then it's going to start this whole negative cascade where these proteins, they're undigested. They're going to go into the small intestine where we're supposed to have these tiny nutrients. They're going to start inflaming all the the lining of the small intestine. They're going to shave down all those villi in there. And then the lining of the intestine is so compromised and so uh, upset because of all this undigested stuff in there. It's it was like, hey, I wanted a B12. I, I wanted a little amino acid and you brought me steak. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> and, and then it's filled with all these parasites and these bacteria and things because you didn't have the stomach acid to disinfect it. Right. Yeah. So now the small intestine where it should be absorbing these beautiful nutrients, the nutrients are still locked up in the food and now it's irritated and the, the lining of the gut gets compromised. So it starts to open up. So these bigger particles can start to go through and where they shouldn't be, they should be inside of your gut. And now they're outside and the immune system is sort of waiting outside to catch mm-hmm. any invaders, right? And that's what most people would know as leaky gut, right? Exactly. So now the immune system is like, oh my gosh, there's, uh, hurry up, there's chicken here. What is it doing? Uh, launch an attack. We Everybody come help. And so it calls on the immune system to inflame. So we get these inflammatory cytokines And what happens in the gut doesn't stay in the gut if you have a leaky gut, right? And so we have these inflammatory molecules because we just didn't digest well. And now the gut lining is opening up. And now we have a systemic 
inflammatory problem. And this is where we start to see a lot of individual differences of things that, for example, when I had a really, really leaky gut, I had horrible seasonal allergies, asthma, sinus infections, ear infections, a lot of like ear, nose, throat type stuff, asthma, like, um, and I also got a lot of tendonitis. So because that inflammation, right, it's like, who's, who would have thought that, like, how does asthma connect with, you know, it doesn't necessarily connect, but the root cause is that it's inflammation in the body. And so you can Mm -hmm. get leaky gut where it sort of hits you sort of anywhere. Some people can have migraines from leaky gut. Some people can have joint Mm -hmm. pain. Other people get autoimmunity. Other people get really bad stomach pains. I never had a stomach pain in my life. I just had allergies. So I didn't, I was like, Oh, I guess it's bad luck. Like you don't make that connection when it's not happening to your stomach. Right. But all of this. Yeah. So, and I mean, Poor digestion is not the only reason for um, leaky gut. We can Mm -hmm. also have things like um, there's toxins and there's inflammatory foods and pesticides and gluten and all these things that are further compromising this. So um, now when the food is in the small intestine, it's actually being worked on as well by the bile and the gallbladder. So that's one thing we didn't talk about yet either. So if the stomach acid is not acidic enough, it doesn't tell the gallbladder to secrete bile. And if we're not eating fat, we also don't get the message to get bile because we wouldn't need it. So what can happen to people who have been on a low-fat diet, aka anyone who's lived through the 80s and 90s, or anyone who's done a plant-based diet... Well, it's funny you say that uh, mm. with the time reference because recently yeah. I um, have gone back to playing Australian rules football. And it's funny, I haven't been in this kind of environment in maybe 15 years and listening to people talk about, because we're in preseason, listening to people talk about their weight and diet, like, you know, Australian men. Um, yeah. And low fat is still the narrative amongst those. And I couldn't believe it. And I was like, whoa, I'm so stuck in this world of, you know, health and nutrition and people that follow me and listen so they know. Um, yeah. And listening to these guys be like, oh, yeah, I've got to cut the fat out and whatever. And and I'm just sort of absorbing like, oh, wow, like, the sort of, mm. you know, mainstream person that's not into health and wellness still thinks that low fat's a good idea. Exactly. So thank you for saying that. And yeah, sometimes I don't know what people don't know because I'm so in this world and like, you're my friend, like you are my friend, you know, like you're yeah. my social circle. So, <laughs> so it's like, it's hard because I don't really see how, you know, I'll go to the supermarket, I'll go to like Walmart or something. And that's where I can see how the world eats. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, healthy markets and things like that. So I'm just so in, I have this tunnel vision. Like I don't really understand how the rest of the world eats, but thank you for sharing that. So if you've lived through the eighties, nineties, two thousands, 2010s or 2020s, <laughs> <laughs> or you've eaten a, a plant-based diet, or you've just had poor quality fats, like the standard American diet, all these seed oils, which are all over the place, really hard to escape. Mm-hmm. So basically everybody, um, what starts to happen is that this bile bile gets recycled. So we use it to digest the fatty food and then it recycles and the liver makes more and then it fills up the gallbladder and then we use it again. But if we're not using it, it kind of just sits there and can get sluggish and thick and viscous and then it doesn't work as well. So you're getting just not good quality bile to break down these fats. So you're going to have poor, uh, like 
just poor fat digestion. It's going to have a hard time breaking down. And so that is going to drive a lot of discomfort, a lot of issues. So some things that might happen is that you, from not digesting your fats, you can get um, tension headaches, you get hormone imbalances, sunburn easily, dry skin, muscles are fatiguing easily, things like that. You could get tension headaches at the base of the skull, headaches over your eyes, but then just issues that you might not be digesting fat well might be that you might get like gallbladder pain. So under the right side rib, but that pain might sort of diffuse all the way to your back or just inside your chest cavity. Some people might have attacks or their gallbladder removed, but then other people might have to run straight to the bathroom after a fatty meal Greasy foods or fatty meals might upset their stomach. Their stools might be greasy or shiny or light or clay colored. They might float. They may feel nauseous. That's a really big sign of poor fat digestion. Even motion sickness, surprisingly. Um, And then, yeah, and then dry skin, itchy feet or skin that's peeling on the feet. These are all signs of poor fat digestion. Um, So that can be sort of how you might self-identify like, oh, I don't really think I'm breaking down my fats enough. And then of course, constipation as well. So um, because if you're not breaking them down, they can just sort of sit there and the Mm -hmm. the body's trying to work on them. So those are some issues with with the gallbladder. We talked about the small intestine. Um, So we get this systemic inflammation, and some some issues that you some signs that you might have some small intestinal issues because we did talk about leaky gut and we said that you know you could really have almost any symptom and that's leaky gut all these like chronic inflammatory symptoms but you might know that if you have you might want to work on your small intestine if you do have food sensitivities bloating within an hour or two of eating if like certain foods make you feel tired or bloated, or if your pulse is speeding up after eating, and then things like allergies, asthma, sinus infections, stuffy nose is definitely associated with leaky gut and small intestinal issues, any sort of inflammation symptoms. If you have just that sinus congestion, stuffy nose, uh, if you alternate constipation and diarrhea and having, uh, these are some weird ones, like having bizarre, vivid dreams, nightmares, and then feeling spacey or unreal. Uh, some people say that they just don't feel like themselves. They feel like outside of themselves. And those mm-hmm. can all be some symptoms there. So um, those are some symptoms of the small intestinal issues. And then we come to the large intestine. And this is really where um, testing might be needed because we, you know, what's going on in the large intestine, there's trillions of bacteria, there's yeast, there's probably parasites. If you have a pulse, you have a parasite. And so we may need to do some testing here. But the really cool thing about um, optimizing your digestion is that when there's a certain type of dysbiosis, which we talked about is that balance of, of the good and bad bacteria, there's a certain type of dysbiosis that's called digestive dysbiosis. And this is where you will get an overgrowth of bad bacteria just based on the fact that you don't have enough stomach acid, digestive enzymes, and fat digestion. Uh, and so if you improve those things, this type of dios- dysbiosis can clear up on its own. You don't need to go in there with antimicrobials or anything to kill it. It can just clear up on its own. So that's why I always recommend optimizing these upper steps of digestion first, because yeah. you might clear up a lot of issues that you have in the large intestine. 
However, if you don't, if that doesn't clear up, there could be other things sort of driving it. So some symptoms of large intestine issues would be like less than one bowel movement per day. Stools have edges or they're loose stools or irritable bowel, blood in the stool, mucus in the stool. Um, if you have like a coated tongue, if you have um, yeast infections or yeast-like symptoms, if um, dark circles under the eyes and symptoms like this, a lot of digestive um, symptoms that are, you know, probably feel uncomfortable. And then of course, the more rounds of antibiotics you've taken in your life, sort of the worse off you might be. And I fall into that camp. I have taken maybe probably easily 30 rounds of antibiotics, easily wow. 30 yeah. rounds of antibiotics in my life. And I like, it's, it's wild to me how I'm still standing, you know, so I have a lot of work to do <laughs> on my gut, but um, yeah, that's, so that's really the process of digestion. I did just realize that I forgot to share this, uh, the signs of low stomach acid. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. So if yeah, we could just I was about jump to back. circle back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's circle back. So, um, so this is really common and I love talking about stomach acid. I could talk about it all day. Um, but again, there, there's symptoms that you really wouldn't expect. So the heartburn, acid reflux, GERD, those are all symptoms of low stomach acid, burping or gas within an hour of eating. My tell personally is that I will burp immediately if I haven't, if I don't have enough stomach acid, bloating within an hour of eating, uh, history of the vegan diet, bad breath, losing the taste for meat. So your body kind of, you look at meat and you're like, I just don't want that anymore. And that's probably because your body intuitively knows it can't break it down. We talked about food sitting in your stomach, like a rock feeling full, excessively full, feeling like skipping breakfast, feeling better. If you don't eat, um, your fingernails chipping and peeling and being very weak, uh, anemia being unresponsive to iron. This is because stomach acid helps us absorb iron, um, having stomach pains or cramps, constipation, black or tarry stools, and then undigested food in your stools is a really big one. So that's sort of, you know, we talked a lot about poop, but you can kind of see like when you look in the toilet, it's like, okay, if my stool is floating and shiny and light or clay colored, that's probably an issue with fat digestion. If I'm constipated and there's undigested bits of food in there and I'm burping after my meals, okay, that's stomach acid. Maybe you have a combination of all of these because that's possible too. Wow. How good is Danny, right? Oh, she's just such a wealth of knowledge. And I love that we're close enough friends that I can get her to come on here and hang out anytime to share this amazing content with you. Thanks for tuning into part one of what basically became a bit of a masterclass on digestion. If you have a family member or friend that has digestive or gut issues or going to the toilet problems, which I know from many of my clients, many of their husbands have these problems and they're too stubborn to speak to anybody about it. I'd rather just keep taking the Metamucil and deal with the blood when I go to the toilet. <laughs> If you know anybody that's in any of these categories, whether it be just a little bit of bloating or that kind of situation, maybe try sharing this podcast episode with them. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share a screenshot on your social media and tag both myself and Danny so that we can share it too. All of our links are in the show notes down below. So scroll down, click the link and become part of our world. Uh, and from here, jump over to part two of this conversation, which will be, or already is, episode number 235. All right, we'll see you soon.
Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.